Chris, thanks for the way you kicked off our meeting. I don't need to introduce you now, so it's all over to you, my friend. It's all yours. Thank you very much, Ollie. I'll take these home with me. That'd be great. I would just like to begin by... Um, I'm going to embarrass Ollie, but I want to pay tribute to Ollie, actually, because um, in the few years, just a few years I've got to know Ollie, I have discovered him to be a very gracious and generous man, and also very committed to Christ. And I just want to pay tribute to Ollie, but also, I think, to, to Kings Eastbourne. And, and the reason I want to do that is because I... Before I came to Eastbourne, I pastored a small church in St. Albans. And one of the things I discovered pastoring a small church in St. Albans is that large churches aren't always friends to small churches. It's often the case that if you're in a small church, large churches are not praying for you, they can be praying on you, and it's tough. But I'll tell you this, that's not true about King's Church Eastbourne. It is certainly my view and my experience that King's Church Eastbourne has an excellent reputation among the churches, and particularly the smaller churches of Eastbourne. That's through Ollie, but it's also through you, that you have a reputation of serving the smaller churches of Eastbourne. And so I want to thank you for that. And, um, and I would just encourage you if you are able to give to this gift day, to give sacrificially to it, because you're not just building King's Church Eastbourne, you're building the kingdom of God. And that's the most valuable thing you could ever spend your money on. I'll, t I'll tell you this, there will be people who regret not giving more one day to this appeal. But there'll be nobody who ever regrets that they gave as much as they could, and sometimes beyond what they could. A day is coming when that will be the greatest thing you ever gave, and it will be the thing that you're most happy about, how much you gave. So I encourage you to give sacrificially uh, in support of this ministry and the kingdom of God spreading in Eastbourne. All right, so... Let me start with a question. How do you start the day? Do you start the day with a cup of tea or a cup of coffee? Hands up for a cup of tea. Hands up for coffee. Anyone cocoa? No one starts with cocoa, whatever that may be. Okay, well, the thing is, you see, if you were Jewish, you might start the day with cocoa. Because if you're Jewish, the day doesn't begin when the sun rises. The day begins when the sun sets. So the day begins when you're going to bed, when you're getting ready to go to bed. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says there was evening and there was morning the first day. So that the day starts not when the sun comes up, but when the sun goes down. And that, why am I telling you that? Because today's a really important day. Anyone know what today is, the Jewish calendar today? I did, I wouldn't have known either. Today is the 12th day of the 12th month. Right now, 12th day, 12th month, 12th of Adar. Well, when the sun sets, it will be the 13th day of the 12th month, the month of Adar. And the 13th day of Adar is a really important day in the Bible. It's the day right at the center of the book of Esther. 
So this evening, when the sun sets, Jews will start to fast. And they'll fast for 24 hours. Then when the sun sets tomorrow, they'll celebrate Purim, which is the festival at the end of the book of Esther. So this morning, I'm going to tell you the story of the book of Esther. Anyone familiar with the story of the book of Esther? Yeah, a few of you are. You'll enjoy it because it's nice to be told a story you know. And if you're not familiar, then I really encourage you to go and read Esther. You're going to love the story of Esther. I'll do my best to just to tell you the story. One thing you need to know about Esther is, is that God is not mentioned in the book of Esther, which is a really surprising thing because God's hand is on every page in the book of Esther, but his name is not on any page. Now, why is that? Why would an author writing a book in the Bible who reveals God's hand on every page not put his name on any page? Why would that be? Here's why. Because he wants you to know, if it'll click, that God's silence is not the same as God's absence. And that's something every person needs to know. Every person who trusts in God needs to learn this lesson that God's silence is not the same as God's absence. You know, many times in our Christian lives, we say, where are you? Where are you? Are you really there? Because I am trusting and I am praying, but I don't see you anywhere. You seem far from me. And that might be your situation right now. You might be right now thinking all the, all the bills are going up and my income's not going up. And you might be thinking, Lord, where are you right now? I'm under a lot of pressure. Maybe you're having pro problems paying the rent. Maybe you're having problems finding accommodation. Maybe you're having all There could be all kinds of problems you're having. And you say, Lord, where are you? Well, let me tell you, God's silence is not the same as God's absence. And, and Esther is the book for you. All right, so let me tell you the story of, of Esther. At the center of the story of the book of Esther is a man called Haman. And Haman is the chief advisor to King Xerxes. Now, King Xerxes rules over one of the largest kingdoms there's ever been in the world, a vast kingdom. And Haman is his chief advisor. And one day, Haman comes to the king and he says to him this. He says, your majesty... There is a certain people dispersed among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom who keep themselves separate. Their customs are different from those of other people, and they do not obey the king's laws. It is not in the king's best interests to tolerate them. If it pleases the king, let a decree be issued to destroy them, and I will give 10,000 talents of silver to the royal treasury. The king replied, keep the money and do with the people as you please. Then dispatches were sent by couriers to all the king's provinces with the order to destroy, kill, and annihilate all the Jews, young and old, women and children, on a single day. The 13th day of the 12th month, the month of Adar. Now that is the threat right at the center of the book of Esther. That is the threat for which uh, the, the, the people, the Jewish people, the people of God, all through this vast kingdom would be destroyed on a single day. Destroyed, killed, annihilated on a single day. And that's the threat for which Esther 
and Mordecai, the heroes of the story, are, are God uses. That's the threat to which they are the answer. So who are Esther and Mordecai? Well, that's what chapter 1 and 2 tell you. This is chapter 3, but in chapter 1 and 2, we're introduced to Esther and Mordecai. And chapter 1 begins with a domestic crisis, or a national crisis, I should say, resulting from a domestic dispute. So chapter 1 of Esther begins with a king showing off. It says this, For a full 180 days, Xerxes displayed the vast wealth of his kingdom and the splendor and glory of his majesty. Six months showing off. After that, when these days were over, the king held a banquet lasting seven days. So he's had six months showing off, and then he's got this special banquet, seven days. It says, on the last day of that, when the king was high in spirits, he said to his servants, bring the queen wearing her royal crown to display her beauty to the people and nobles for she was lovely to look at. This is Queen Vashti. Now, Queen Vashti wasn't particularly keen on being ogled at by the king's drunken friends. She wasn't particularly keen on being treated like all the rest of his possessions, just to display his glory. So she says no. And that causes this massive kingdom-wide crisis. Now, He's not the first man to have spent an awful lot of time trying to make himself look good. And she's not the first wife who made him look a fool. But that's what happens here. And you can see why, you can see why it's such a big thing. He has spent six months trying to make himself look good and powerful. And in just one moment, she's made him look weak. And so he flies into a rage. And he calls his advisors, and his advisors say to him, Your Majesty, you are absolutely right to be in a rage. What she has done threatens the very foundations of family life. It threatens the foundations of the kingdom. The foundations of civilization are threatened by what the Queen has done. Well, of course, that's all nonsense. But you don't get to be a special advisor to the king by speaking truth to power in the ancient world. You get to be a special advisor to the king by telling him what he wants to hear. And that's what they did. I'll tell you, that's not just true about the ancient world. That's true about the world right now. You go to Putin's court, there aren't people there speaking the truth to power. He got rid of them years ago. The only people there are telling him what he wants to hear. And that's true everywhere. Well, they told the king, the queen's got to go. The queen's got to be punished. She's got to go. And the king took the advice, and the queen was deposed. But that left the king without a queen. And the advisors had an answer for that too. And they said, well, this then. Let a search be made for beautiful young virgins for the king. Bring all these beautiful girls into a harem at the citadel of Susa. Then let the young woman who pleases the king... Be queen instead of Vashti. Surprise, surprise, this advice appealed to the king. And he followed it. And cutting a long story short, that's how Esther, she was one of the young girls, 
She was very beautiful, and she pleased the king more than anybody else, and she was made queen. So Esther took Vashti's place. Now, Esther was an orphan, and she was being brought up by her cousin, an older cousin called Mordecai, and they were quite devoted to one another. She always followed Mordecai's commands, and Mordecai said, don't tell anybody you're Jewish. Keep that under your hat. And she followed that advice, and it says that he would go every day. She was just a young girl. Every day he would walk back and forth near the courtyard of the harem to find out how she was doing and what was happening to her. That's lovely, isn't it? There was a real love between them, and he's concerned about her. She's a young girl in a terrible world, in a terrible situation, and he's there as close as he can be, reassuring her of his love. And while he's there, he overhears a plot to assassinate the king. Two guys, Big Thana and Teresh, plot to kill the king, while Mordecai overhears that. He tells Esther, Esther tells the king, giving credit to Mordecai, the plot's investigated, the assassins are put to death, and all this is recorded in the records of the king's reign. That's vital to the story. Okay, so it's a few years later now that Haman has been elevated to this key position. He's been ele elevated higher than all the other nobles in Xerxes' kingdom, and everybody is meant to bow down when they see Haman walking by. And everybody does except Mordecai. Mordecai, now we don't really know why Mordecai didn't. There's some sort of indications in the passage, in the book, that, that there's some historical and racial animosity between Haman and Mordecai's people. Okay, that's there. But whatever it was, it really wound Haman up. And it says this, When Haman saw that Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor, he was enraged. Yet he scorned the idea of killing only Mordecai. Instead, he looked for a way to destroy all Mordecai's people, the Jews, throughout the whole kingdom of Xerxes. God, dear. That's revenge, isn't it? I'm just not going to take revenge on you. I'm going to take revenge on all your people. You will pay. Just because he wouldn't kneel down. Well, when Mordecai... The, so, so the edicts published, and when Mordecai saw that the edict was published, Haman went to the king, and he said to the king, well, what, what it says actually is that Haman decided that that's what he was going to do. He got his friends together. They rolled a dice called the Pur. That's where the name Purim comes from. They rolled the dice to determine the day, and the day was the 13th day of Adar. And so he persuaded the king. The king said, yes, it can be done. Edicts were issues, riders sent out, the decree was published in every town, in every place throughout the kingdom, in every language, that on that day, Jewish people would be murdered, destroyed, killed, and annihilated. When, when Mordecai saw, the, saw that, he um, put on sackcloth, and he sent a message to Esther, and said, Esther, you must reveal your Jewish identity. You must go to the king and appeal to the king for mercy. Well, she's the queen. How hard could it be? Esther says it's harder than you think. This is a, this, 
This is not, if it had happened immediately after she was king, well, after she was made queen, that would have been fine, but, but her, her star is no longer in the ascendancy that it once was. She said, oh yeah, and he, sorry, have I gone wrong there? No, anyway. So he says to her, you got to go, and uh, who knows that you have come to a royal position for such a time as this. Oh, I've, missed, I've lost one. Yeah, I've lost one. So anyway, she, she says, look, I, have, I haven't been summoned to the king for 30 days. She said, the king has not invited me into his presence for 30 days. She said, um, the king has one rule for people who go into his presence unsummoned, and that is that they must die. She said, if I go into the king's presence without summoning me, I will be put to death. There is only one exception. That's if the king uh, extends the royal scepter to that person. But if he doesn't, I'm dead. And I haven't been into the presence of the king for 30 days. And then Mordecai says, well, you must go. And who knows, but that you have come to royal position for such a time as this. And so she says, then I will go. Fast for me. I and my attendants will fast as you do, and I will go. And if I perish, I perish. Well, she goes. She goes into the presence of the king, and the king seeing her in the place of supreme danger. The king knows what the law is. The king knows that she is standing there. She is risking her life to stand there. And the king extends the royal scepter to her. He says, Esther, what is it? He says, Esther, what is your request? I promise you, Esther, whatever it is, it will be granted you. Esther says, if it pleases the king, let the king, together with Haman, come to a banquet I have prepared for them today. King says, Bring Haman. Let's get on with it. Fabulous. The king's pleased. He loves a banquet. So they, so they go to the banquet, and Haman's invited to the banquet. Just the three of them having a banquet together. And at the banquet, the king says, uh, the king says, Esther, what is your request? She says, if the king is pleased with me, let him and Haman come tomorrow to another banquet that I will prepare for them, and then I will answer the king's question. Well, in all of this, no one is happier than Haman. Haman is thrilled to bits. He has been marked out for the singular honor by the queen of been inviting to a banquet just the three of them. He is as high as a kite. He is thrilled to bits. He said, and he goes home to his family, and he says to his family, as he's going, he sees Mordecai not bowing. But he's still thrilled. He gets to his family, and he says, you won't believe what has happened to me today. He said, the queen invited me to a banquet, just me, the queen, and the king. He said, he's, but he says, while he's saying that, the hatred of Mordecai wells up inside him, and he says this, I think, but all this gives me no satisfaction as long as I see that Jew, Mordecai, sitting at the king's gate. 
Well, they say to him, look, what, why are you letting this one guy bother you? Go to the king. They say, have a pole erected 75 feet high outside your house. Go to the king. He will not deny you. Ask him to give you Mordecai and have him impaled on the pole. And then you can go to the banquet and you'll have a great time. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? It tells you something, I reckon, about Haman. Some people, if they've got the money, they like to have a view of the downs. Some people, if they've got the money, they like a sea view. Haman had all the money in the world. And the view that he wanted was to see Mordecai impaled on a pole outside his house. Well, you see the problem in the story. The problem in the story is this, that Mordecai is going to be dead before Esther makes her request. Because her banquet is in the afternoon. And Haman is going in the morning to see the king. And Mordecai will be stuck on a pole before she even makes her request. If God, you see, Esther is brave and Mordecai is wise, but it's not Esther's bravery or Mordecai's wisdom that's going to save them. If God doesn't do something, if the God who is silent isn't also present, then they are in serious trouble. But it just so happened that the king couldn't sleep that night. And it just so happened that he said, bring the records of my reign and read them to me. That's pretty boring. That'll put me to sleep. <laughs> and it just so happened that the record, they, they, these are on scrolls in a library. The, the scroll they pulled out, it just so happened, was the one in which Mordecai had saved the king's life. It just so happened that the king asked the question, what reward has Mordecai received? It just so happened he'd received no reward for saving the king's life. Well, that alarmed the king. You know why it alarmed the king? Because what happens to kings who don't reward people when they save their lives? What happens to kings who don't reward people who report assassination plots? I tell you, reporting assassination plots is a dangerous game. Because if those people are successful, you're in trouble. Most people say, nothing to do with me. I'll mind my own business. So if someone reports assassination plot that saves your life, you better reward them because you want everyone to know you reward people who save the king's life. And Mordecai had received no reward. The king is alarmed. He's not bothered about Mordecai. He's bothered about his own skin. It's a bad policy. And he says, who is in the court? Something must be done. Who is in the court? Well, who was in the court? Who'd come in early that morning? Haman was in the court. He says, bring him in. I need to speak to Haman. He says, Haman. What must be done? What should be done for the man whom the king delights to honor? Haman thought, who else does the king delight to honor but me? Who else does the queen delight to honor but me? 
He's talking about me. So the king, so Haman says, well, your majesty, it's a serious business. He said, I'll tell you, your majesty, he must be clothed in the king's own robe, seated on the king's own horse, and led through the citadel of Susa by the king's highest noble, announcing this is what is done for the man the king delights to honor. The king says, oops, who was in the court? The king says, what should be done? He says, go at once. Get the robe and the horse and do just as you have suggested for Mordecai the Jew. Do not neglect anything you have said. So there he is, Haman, absolutely gutted. He wanted to put him on a pole. Now he's leading him through the town saying, this is what he's done for the man the king delights to honor. He is gutted. Well, he has to do it. So he does it. He goes home to his family he's with his head in his hands. He says, you can't believe what has happened to me today. But as he's saying that, people, servants come and say, you've got to come. It's the queen's banquet. You've got to get ready. You've got to come straight away. So he's sitting at the queen's banquet and he's probably recovering his composure when the king says to Esther, I'm trying. Queen Esther, what is your petition? It will be given you. What is your request? Even up to half my kingdom, it will be granted you. And Esther says, If I have found favor with you, your majesty, and if it pleases you, grant me my life. That is my request. And spare my people. That is my request. For I and my people have been sold to be destroyed, killed, and annihilated. Well, the king says, Who is it that threatens the queen? Who threatens my queen? The queen says, An adversary and an enemy, this vile Haman. She's got steel running through her veins. Well, Haman's having a bad day, of course, and <laughs> the king, the king is bewildered, he gets up in a rage, he goes out into the garden to decide what he's going to do with Haman. Haman knows exactly what the king is going to do with him. He starts to appeal to the queen, he's taking hold of the queen, he's grabbing hold of her with his hands, begging her to save his life. As he's doing that, the king comes back in. And the king says, will he even molest the queen in my presence? The words are not out of his mouth. They put a hood on his head. And the king says, what should be done with Haman? And Harbona, one of the palace guards says, today he has had a pole set up. 75 feet high outside his house with which he intended to impale Mordecai, who spoke up to save the king's life. The king said, impale him on it. So they impaled Haman on the pole he had set up for Mordecai. Now that's not the end of the story, but it's just about the end of the story. That's the key point. I mean, there's a few things that have still got to happen. The Jews of this edict is still in place. And 
the, the law of the Medes and the Persians was that once a law had been made, it couldn't be overturned, but a new edict could be issued, and a new edict was issued. And what you see is that, Haman, uh, that, that Mordecai is elevated to Haman's place, so that on the day, on the day that begins this evening, on the 13th day of Adar, the enemies of the Jews had hoped to overpower them. The tables were turned, and the Jews got the upper hand over those who hated them. All the nobles of the provinces, the satraps, the governors, and the king's administrators helped the Jews because the fear of Mordecai had seized them. Formerly, the fear of Haman had seized them, but Haman had taken Mordecai's place, and Mordecai had taken Haman's place, and the Jews were saved. And they celebrate that. They call that festival Purim. Now, why do they call it Purim? Purim is the name of the dice. Why name a festival after dice? That's an interesting thing to do, isn't it? I think the answer is this. Because Haman thought that he could determine the destiny of the people of God, and the dice would determine the day. But no person determines the destiny of the people of God. And no dice determine the day. See, the key thing in the book of Esther is it all happens, everything changes in the book of Esther on a single day. The day that begins on the evening when the king can't sleep and ends, that sees Mordecai honored and ends with Haman impaled. It is not. People don't determine the destiny of the people of God, and dice don't determine the day. God determines the destiny of the people of God, and God determines the day. God may be silent, but he certainly ain't absent. He may be silent in your life right now. He certainly ain't absent. I just want to tell you a couple of connections in this book to the gospel. Because they seem to me to be, the more I've read the book of Esther, the more I think about these. And they're really vital, for, I think, for us to understand these, uh, these simple things. First connection in the book of Esther to the gospel is sacrifice, of course. Esther says, if I perish, I perish. But Jesus said, when I perish, I perish. She risked her life to save her people. Jesus gave his life to save his people. So that's the first thing. Sacrifice. Reversal is a big connection between the gospel. Reversal is at the heart of Esther, where Haman takes Mordecai's place and Mordecai takes Haman's place. Reversal is at the heart of the gospel. When Jesus takes our place and we take Jesus' place. When he bears our sins, he's impaled, he's nailed in our place that we might have his place. So sacrifice and reversal are there. Hatred is there too. Here's an interesting idea. In the book of Esther, the Jewish people are hated not for anything they have done, but because of one man. They're hated for Mordecai's sake. 
They're threatened for Mordecai's sake. And Jesus said that his people would be hated for his sake. Jesus said, if you belong to the world, the world would love you, will love you as its own. But you do not belong to the world. As it is, I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Jesus said that his followers are hated for his sake, just as the people in the book of Esther are hated, the Jews in the book of Esther are hated for Mordecai's sake. But also vindication. And that's the promise, of course, because Jesus says... When people hate you for my sake, rejoice and be glad. For great is your reward in heaven. See, that's an important point. Sometimes we get vindicated in this life. But we're promised vindication in heaven. Sometimes we do get vindicated in this life. You can pray and God will rescue you. I um, did a funeral a couple of years ago for a lady in at Victoria. Her name was Ursula McCulloch. Her husband was Bernard McCulloch. They were missionaries out in the Congo. They told this story at her funeral, astonishing story, just like the book of Esther. They were out serving in the Congo and um, her husband was a medical missionary and he was gaining, a, a, he was having a, a significant effect upon this village called Belobo. And the witch doctor of that village was unhappy by losing his influence. And he was losing it to Bernard. So he brought a false charge against him. And he had him arrested and he was put on a boat and he was taken to Kinshasa, the capital, where he would be tried. Now, Ursula was there with three little girls. And to remain in that village without her husband was a very, not a safe thing for her. And she managed to smuggle herself on board this boat that her husband was on being taken. Herself and her three children being taken to Kinshasa. They only knew one person in Kinshasa. And that guy was a doctor called John Close. Do you know Glenn Close, the actress? Remember her? It was her father, Dr. John Close. He just happened to be the physician to the president. So they contacted him, and he had Bernard McCulloch released from prison, and he said, I'd like you to come and have breakfast with me. So the next day, Bernard and Ursula and their three children are having breakfast with the president of the Congo, and the president says, I think the best thing for you is to you to go home back to England. And they said, we can't do that. We've got people in Belobo depending on us. And the president said, well, then, if that's the case, you should go back in my boat. And they returned to Belobo in the president's own boat. And Angie, who was one of the daughters, she said, what I remember that day, the thing I remember most was crowds of people lining the shore, clapping, clapping, clapping. The witch doctor was not seen again. <laughs> That's what I understand. That's the story. That's a vindication and you hope and I hope. Often in life, we want to be vindicated now and here, right now. And that happens. It might happen to you, but I can't promise you that. 
Because the Bible doesn't promise you that. It does happen, but it's not promised. We are promised vindication in heaven. And I'll tell you one last story and then I'm done. And it was a story I heard last week about two uh, Afghan Christians in Kabul. And they were told by some friends that the Taliban had discovered they were believers and that was a death sentence. This is only weeks ago. So they knew the Taliban were coming, they knew they'd be killed, and they, what did they do? They both went and bathed. They put on their best clothes. They went and got a pile of Bibles they'd been hiding, and they distributed them to their neighbors. They gave them to their neighbors, 30 Bibles, saying, we want you to know we're Christians. This book has changed our life. We want you to have one. And three or four hours later, they were with the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said, when people persecute you, insult you, and say all kinds of evil things and even do evil things against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. For great is your reward in heaven. And the promise of vindication that you see in the book of Esther, Jesus promises to his people. It will happen in a single day. The Bible says that the Lord Jesus will return on a single day and everything will change. It says in, first, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 that he will return to be glorified in his people and marveled at by those who have believed. It seems to me the promise we have is that if we are faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ as those Afghans, you know why they, you know why they bathed and put their best clothes on, don't you? Because they were going to see the king. They were going to see the king. They knew they were. And they wanted to look their best. They were going to their wedding. They knew they were. And, and I would bet my life that when their boat pulled ashore, there was clapping, clapping, clapping. And there will be for you. You, I don't, you know, we're in, we live different lives and some of us, we live hard lives. Perhaps not as hard as those believers in Kabul. But you know, we live hard lives. Some of us live much harder than others. But I just say to you, trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. He took your place, you will have his. And he will see you vindicated. Whatever you gave, whatever it cost you, you will not be disappointed on that day. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the privilege of being here with these people this morning. I thank you even more for the privilege of the gospel you have given us to proclaim. We thank you that we belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, that he has given himself for us and offers, invites each one of us to receive life. Lord, we thank you for him, the one who was perfect, who was crucified for our sakes. Lord, we long we long for the day of his coming. We long for the day of his glory 
and the vindication of all who have believed. We give you thanks. Help us to be faithful. Fill us, empower us, equip us with your Spirit that we might live faithfully, sacrificially, and trusting till that day. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Thank you.